So we have been in a sermon series on, um, it, we've entitled it, Jesus Speaks. And we're looking at this series of teachings that Jesus gave on a mountainside uh, that he likely to- taught quite frequently as he traveled and as he spoke in synagogues and spoke with people. And, uh, and there comes this point in there. Let's, uh, let's back up a little bit so that we can find where we're at today. Jesus, um, Jesus begins this series of, of teachings with what we often call the Beatitudes. He said, you are blessed in this kingdom when you are meek and when you are humble, when you're poor in spirit. And Jesus is speaking at this point in Galilee, a remote region there in Israel, and he's speaking to a crowd of people. If you read just before the Sermon on the Mount, back in Matthew chapters 3 and 4, you'll, you'll read of all these people coming to him uh, w- that are demon-possessed and that are blind and that are hurting and that are poor in this poor fishing region of Israel, and all these broken people coming to Jesus And he takes the time and shows the compassion and the depth of his, of God's love for us as he he heals them, as he lays his hands on them and as he cares for them. And these broken crowds of people continue to follow him. And so he sits down on this hillside and he says, I want you to know that in this kingdom you are blessed when you are poor and when you are humble and when you are meek. And when all the um, expectations of religion and culture say, no, this is either a punishment or you just haven't worked hard enough or because you're poor, or because you're blind, you are substandard, when both religion and culture said that in their lives, Jesus sits down with these people and he says, I want you to know in this kingdom you're blessed. And Jesus begins there in Matthew chapter 5 at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount um, to describe a kingdom that is otherworldly, yet in this world. He begins to describe this upside-down kingdom where it's not the elites and it's not the most beautiful and it's not the most successful and remarkable that get the accolades of their king, but instead it's the humble and the poor and the meek and those that will turn to their heavenly father. He begins to describe this kingdom that is otherworldly, but here in this world. He goes on to speak of the hypocrisy that he sees in the kingdoms of this world, in the rulers of Israel. He speaks of the Pharisees and the Sadducees who stand on the street corners and they pray with their arms in the air and their beautiful robes so that people can see them and say, wow, those are really righteous, holy people, right? And he says to these Pharisees and Sadducees, he says, tell you what, you have received your reward in full. The praise of the people, that's all you get. He says, in this kingdom, God rewards those who go quietly into their closet and get down on their knees and pray before him, right? He describes this reverse kingdom, the opposite of the power of Rome, the opposite of of the hypocrisy and the self-worth that the Pharisees and Sadducees and and religious rulers of the day held to. And so he he describes this upside-down kingdom. And, and he teaches his people there on the hillside. He says, this is how you should pray. And he shares with them this humble prayer. God, your kingdom come and your will be done. And then he starts to teach them about priorities. He says, I know it's easy to want to store up riches for yourself in this life. But he says, they won't last. He says, get your priorities right. Because in this kingdom, there is eternal opportunity. 
to invest in the things that God does in this world that carry beyond in love and in hope, right? He says, get your priorities straight because in this kingdom, it's not about the size of your bank account. He says it's about other, better priorities. And he says, stop judging others. It's easy to see the little bit of sin or the problem in their life. He says, let's drop this judgmental perspective because in this kingdom, we're here to help others. He says, but here's the problem. You see the problems in their life, but you've got it all screwed up in your life. He, in fact, the illustration he uses, you see the speck of sawdust in their eye, but there is a gaping wound, a plank coming out of your own eye, and it is clouding your vision. You are unable to help. You are unable to offer the assistance in love that you need to. You are blind because of this plank in your eye. He says, stop being judgmental and deal with your own stuff. And then you'd be able to see well enough to actually help people around you. And it, it was last week that we looked at that, and we introduced this season of Lent. And if you weren't here, I uh, just want you to know you're invited to participate with us in some way, shape, or form. Lent is a season in which we give something up. So often people will fast, and some of the most popular fasts are no chocolate for 40 days or something like that, right? You can pick anything you want. Sometimes it becomes... Um, a little bit less than what Lent is intended to be when we miss the purpose of it, though. You see, the giving of something else up has to do with putting things in the right place and priority in our lives. Lent has to do with putting aside some of the secondary things in life for the expressed and specific purpose of going deeper in what matters most, our relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's about those priorities. And so just want to invite you, if you weren't here last week, to participate with us. Think about what is one of those secondary things in my life that occupy my time or my attention, and how, if I were to set that aside for the next three weeks, how could I focus a little more deeply on my heavenly father. Okay, so Jesus has described all of these things, right? The, the blessings, the hypocrisy. Don't be a hypocrite anymore. Don't be judgmental even when you see sin and problems in the world around you. He says, get your priorities straight. And there comes this moment in his sermon series where if we are listening intently and well, we have to come to the conclusion, I don't think I can do all this. There comes this moment where we're like, how in the world could I be that person, right? Because Jesus has asked extreme things of it, of us, right? He, he said, you're going to live in this kingdom that's just so reverse and opposite from the ways things operate in the world around you. And he said, I don't know how in the world I would do that. And today Jesus addresses that exact question. Today Jesus says, hey, have you ever thought about asking your Heavenly Father for some help in all of it? He says, ask, seek, knock, and a door will be open to you. Okay, so let's read it, and, and let's dive in. We're in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will, you, will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? 
So in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. How in the world am I to live as a citizen of this kingdom of God here on earth? How in the world am I supposed to emulate, to live like Christ in my life? How in the world will I live up to all of this? Jesus says, it's time to ask your heavenly Father. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. This is a commonly recited passage, one relatively familiar to people. And I think quite often misused as well. Um, it's passages like this that have given weight to, uh, maybe you've heard of the term the prosperity gospel. Uh, God wants you to be rich, so you just ask, and, and this is how you need to ask. And if you do this right, and if you are persistent in prayer, God wants you to be rich. And, and maybe that's fine and sometimes, but I think it's a misinterpretation. Uh, to take that to the extreme to say, this is what God wants for every person. But, but Jesus does say, ask and it will be given to you. And we begin to ask ourselves, what's the context of what Jesus is saying? Is he truly saying that if I pray properly, if I ask enough times, God will give me that GTR that I've always wanted? I mean, I'd even settle for like a five-year-old one, right? Um, I don't know. Is that, is that really what Jesus is saying here? Or, or what is he after? Well, it pins back to where we begin. Jesus is continuing this thought. He says, I want you to live differently in this world. And he says, when it gets too hard, I want you to ask your father for help. Because he will give when you ask. Over in James chapter 4, James is asked, dealing with this same question and struggle. Why do we pray and sometimes we don't get what we ask for? And sometimes it's even a really good thing. Maybe it's not as vain as a car, right? Maybe, maybe we're asking for healing or for help and sometimes the answer is no or there's silence. You know, one of the biggest obstacles many of us face in prayer is past experience, You feel like you get burned once, and it causes us to draw back from our Heavenly Father. It's a very real and challenging issue, one that can't be explained or um, brushed away with some sort of trite answer and comment. But Jesus, he he invites us in spite of those hurts and in spite of those experiences and challenges. He says, when life gets hard, don't forget to ask. Uh, James, when he's dealing with this, uh, I, I didn't finish the, the passage and quote there. He says, sometimes you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives, right? Sometimes our motivation in life doesn't match up with exactly what Jesus is describing and talking about. This is kingdom stuff. This is God's will coming down, being present and active on earth as it is in heaven. This is what Jesus is referring to. And he says, ask. When corruption reigns in politics, when an increasing number of violent events are happening on our school campuses, he says, don't forget to go to your heavenly father with these things as well because God cares and because God gives good gifts to those who ask. Children love to ask for things, right? Kids are really good at this. 
Um, Rachel, our, our younger daughter, she's really been wanting a basketball. And I don't know what spawned this. Oh, I do know what spawned this. The playground where um, she never gets to play. She does, they don't pass the ball to her. Um, and Rachel's tough. She's scrappy. I think she could hang in there. But for whatever reason, she doesn't get it. So time to get a basketball, time to brush up and, and get rolling on all this. So we went to Target finally to pick out this basketball. And I don't want to exaggerate this, but I, I've been thinking through it. I think literally 30 or 40 times while walking through Target, she asked, hey, can I have that? Right? Or, or she made the statement, ooh, I want, I want that, right? And it's everything from TVs to a carton of milk, you know? She, uh, and so tell me, tell me this. What does a good father do when you're walking through Target? It, yes, exactly. We walked out with 40 items that day. Can you believe that? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, the good father just gives everything the kid thinks they want and need in life, right? No, we all know better than that. And I think that's where Jesus goes with this later, right? In, in verse 9 where he says, hey, if you ask, uh, if your son asks for a fish, no good dad's going to give him a snake, right? He, he goes to this place where he says, hold on, a father knows what his children need. And he clarifies, God gives good gifts. And let me just say this, I don't think it would be wrong for me to be a little bit more like Rachel in my prayer life right, to be bringing all this stuff before God, knowing that he already knows it, right, knowing that he knows the outcome, but that kind of intimacy and conversation and just constant time spent with God I don't think would be wrong and offensive. But it's probably me that needs to recheck my priorities and the way I operate in these things to enable myself to know my father who I'm asking for many, many things knows what's best for me, and he gives good gifts. So there's this element of I will bring my, my life before God, and I will ask, and I will be persistent, but I will also learn to be patient, and I will learn to hear no or even silence when God knows more than me, when God has a different a bigger or a better plan for my life and for the things I'm bringing to them. And Jesus says, seek and you will find. He says, he says, look hard. It's the exact opposite of what happens in my household two or three times a day as we say, kids, grab your shoes, hop in the car, it's time to go. And they say, I can't find my shoes, right? And it's like, why don't you look? You just stepped over them to complain to me that you can't find them, right? Jesus says, no, seek. Try a little harder. And I think I'm guilty of that in my life with God quite regularly, right? If answers don't come quick, if solutions don't seem simple, I give up on the God solution and I turn to my own ways and my own ability to deal with things. But Jesus says, you got to be better than a six-year-old walking past their shoes when they're supposed to be looking for them, right? We can move beyond that. Jesus says, seek, and you will find. God's not hiding from us. He's right there in front of us. But we got to look. we got to seek. we got to go deeper. And, he, and Jesus says, knock, and the door will be open to you. It's an invitation to nearness, to relationship 
with God, right? He says, if you knock, the door will be open to you. In fact, Revelations 3.20 says um, God is standing at the door and knocking at, at the door, waiting for us to open it to, uh, it to him, right? It's this invitation, it's this reciprocal thing, like God has pursued us long before we begin pursuing him, asking, seeking, and knocking. God has been pursuing us and inviting us to relationship. Hey, as a side note, I better not take long on this. I'm about out of time. Um, uh, as a side note, what do you think of when your door, when someone knocks on your door or your doorbell rings and you're not expecting someone? Solicitor? Okay, probably solicitor. I think UPS guy just dropped a package off, you know. Um, none of us think anymore, oh, good, a friend came to visit. Right? We live in a different world in which you always call ahead, right? You always make a plan. How often does someone, a friend, just show up at our door and knock and say, hey, just came by to say hi, right? We have four neighbors in our neighborhood. Anytime their garage door is open, I'll walk on in and just have a conversation as they're working at their workbench, right? Um, just this last week, I needed to get on the roof to fix the wind damage. We lost shingles. Um, and, and I forgot to look this morning to see if I've lost more. I might be up on the roof again this week. I don't know. Um, and, uh, and my ladder is just tall enough that I could pull myself onto the roof, but I would have no way to get back down. And since I was home alone, I figured I should try another solution. And so I went and randomly knocked on a neighbor's door and said, hey, do you have a taller ladder? Right? But that's a vulnerable thing. That's not something that happens with just anyone and everyone around that. This, this invitation of God, come and knock and I will open the door to you. This again, this is countercultural to the kingdom that we live in, the lives that we live. It's an invitation to nearness, to relationship, uh, for, with a God who loves us deeply. So Jesus tells us today, when I describe this kingdom to you, or he tells us today in this context, he says, when you hear about this Christian life that we're called to live and to participate in, when you're told that we're supposed to share our faith with people and we're like, oh, I don't like talking to people like that. That's out of my comfort zone, right? When we're told all these things in Christianity that, that just seem overwhelming, Jesus says, start here. Would you just ask God? Would you look a little bit harder? Will you seek a little bit more? Will you knock on that door and witness it, witness as God opens that door to you, an invitation to love and relationship? He says, stop giving up so easy, because God gives good gifts. One of my favorite things is to hear my children pray. They are just prophetic in the way they talk with God, and it's beautiful. And at, um, at two years old, uh, Rachel was saying her first prayers as we laid down, and they were very simple. She's now six, and she prays basically the same prayer. It, it was that profound and beautiful at two years old. She says, God, help us to be nice, kind, and loving. Amen. That was her two-year-old prayer. Help us to be nice, kind, and loving. And you know what I've witnessed over the last four years? The way God answers prayer. Like, she is so incredibly nice, kind, and loving. 
And is it absolute coincidence, or do you think God's at work answering prayers that she's been praying since she was two years old? And it happens in you and my life as well, right? The things that we pray for. One of the things when I was a youth pastor I used to do, we would, um, we would take prayer requests, and sometimes it's this laundry list of like everything in the world. My cat has a lump or, you know, whatever. I don't, I don't even know, and I didn't really even care sometimes. But God cares because he's much more compassionate and better than me. Um, and it's this big old long list of things, right? And you pray over them, check, and we're done, and you move on, right? One of the things we used to do is we would look back. I would, I would keep it just in a notebook and keep it there in the teen room so that we could look back a month at a time or six months at a time and say, hey, guys, these are the things that we were praying for six months ago. What has God done? Have you ever noticed how rarely we notice when God answers prayers? When we ask and when we seek and when we knock, and he opens that door, but it's like we knocked and we walked on by, right? We never even stop to listen, to experience the blessings that he's giving in our lives. I want you to hear this. Jesus says this today um, in, in this passage in Matthew chapter 7. He says, God desires a relationship with you. And I want you to hear that personally. God desires to be in relationship with you. He wants your conversation. He, he wants to reveal himself to you as you seek. He wants to open that door to relationship, to new love, and to new hope, and to new life. God desires a relationship with you. So I'd ask you this today as we start to wrap up. What have you been asking for in life? Is there anything that's kingdom-oriented that you've been asking about, or is it generally just about our personal things? I'm not here to give a guilt trip on that. I think it's just a great time to reflect and consider what are, what are kingdom things that I could be asking for in, in life, right? What are things that will transform my life and the lives of people around me that will make this community or this school or this nation a better place? What am I asking for in life right now? And I'll leave you with, with, with that question, um, that personal question of what ought I be praying for? It comes to me like the fruits of the Spirit. Maybe this is a good place to start. Do I need more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control? I might have missed one in there. You go back and read it, okay? Um, like, these are, these are kingdom things, attributes of citizens of the kingdom of heaven. These are the things that God wants to give and bless with. What are you asking for right now in life? Give it some thought. As the day goes on, I challenge you maybe at dinner tonight, have a conversation about something that, that you'd like to be asking more, God for more of in your life. But I wanted to share this with you. Um, we've, we've been at work for, well, let me, let me start here. Two years ago, we launched this church, right? And God's done some remarkable things, and we feel so blessed to be in community with you guys and so many other people that aren't able to be here today with our community partners and all these things. God has done remarkable things. But two years in, there comes this point where it's like, can we keep just going through the same motions and, and, and find any really community or world change in that? A season where you got to say, um, it's time to revision right? God has brought about some remarkable things from what we set out with, 
but I believe God has some amazing new things ahead. And so we've been exploring what does 2018 look like um, for the Vine Church and um, at a culmination of months of meeting and considering um, one of the things that kept coming to the surface in our conversations, and I've talked with many of you personally about this, um, but a, a need for increased connectivity. Let's be honest. If we show up here, see each other for one hour a week, have a two-minute conversation, and walk away, never see each other, never talk to each other, never think about each other, um, something's lacking in a church, right? Especially in a church where um, we said from the beginning, we want belonging to be at the heart of who we are. Like, our core value will be people can belong regardless of their lifestyle, regardless of their place in their faith journey. Hey, we will start with belonging. I believe that's the way Jesus operated. So um, so belonging became this theme, and we begin to explore. So what does it look like to allow belonging, this idea of belonging, to... Um, uh, to, to take over just different aspects of what's happening in the church. And we came to this. Um, belonging needs to fit into the culture of the church. Uh, it needs to lead us towards deeper connections, and it needs to lead us towards community partners. So culture, connections, and community uh, stood out really strong for us as we explored what, what when belonging really takes hold, what does it do amongst us? Well, it, it, you can see under culture. Um, just some of the different initiatives and things we want to do. Some of them are things we're already already doing that need to be increased. Some of them are new things. Um, uh, creating conversational spaces. Uh, we're exploring, I don't know, and by the way, we want your input on this. Uh, for now, this is a one-way conversation. We want to hear you feedback. Um, so, uh, you know, maybe it's a monthly uh, meal out after service. Like, just a standing on the first Sunday of the month, just know that, bunch of us are going to eat out, and we'd love for you to join us, right? Conversational spaces, meals together, things like that are incredibly important. Uh, and actually, that one fits under the connection groups. Like, how are we going to gather? Uh, we, we serve together in our community. Uh, do we want to do small groups? Um, uh, co- the connection challenge. Ask Justin about that. It's a really cool concept. Um, and then community partnerships. Uh, we're two years in. We find ourselves in a pretty stable place, but how are we going to allow the love of Christ to flow through us and into this community, get get outside of us, right, and and go further amongst us. And so, friends, we're excited. Uh, you'll hear more conversation about this in 2018. And in fact, uh, if there's something on that list, I know you've had plenty of time to read it now. If there's one of those bullets that you're like, wow, I want that. Would you tell us that so that you can help us dream about it, so that we can sit down over coffee and, and, and plan together a little bit of how this develops and how it moves forward? Let me say this. Jesus, um, in this passage, says when life gets overwhelming, when your own abilities begin to fall short of the calling to live into this kingdom, when your own abilities start to fall short of the ability to plant a church or to pastor or any of these things, he said, here's what you do. Start by asking. Start by genuinely seeking God. Knock at that door and see the door opened witness the God who gives good gifts. So I want to invite you today, consider in your personal life, what ought, what I, what ought I be asking God for in the season of life? And secondly, will you pray with us and talk with us as we ask God to develop 
these things that are bigger than our control, that are bigger than we can accomplish on our own. Will you pray with us as we ask for those things? We're going to close out. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for Jesus, and I thank you for just the revolutionary life he invited people to live and to consider for the kingdom that he describes and ushered in. Father, may your kingdom come and your will be done in my life, in our lives, in this church, in this community, and in the world as it is in heaven. Father, your will be done. Father, remind us to ask and to seek and to knock. Father, in our individual lives, reveal to us what we might be needing to ask for a little bit more of in this life. Father, reveal to us as a church um, our, our dependence upon you. And Father, as we ask and as we seek and as we knock, we trust in your good gifts, in your love, in an open door. Thank you, Father, for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.